Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This podcast is a Royfield Brown production. Find others on iTunes. All right. Yeah, I know. Ladies and gentlemen, please remain standing for the singing of our national anthem. He said Britain is just a small island that no one pays attention to. A former colony won the right to determine its own destiny. As you probably know, Mid-Atlantic is part of the Agora Podcast Network, and each month we like to promote a new podcast for your podcasting ears. This month is the Land of the Lathiathan podcast. If you like pop culture and intellectual and political thoughts, and particularly where the two overlap, this is the podcast for you. Go to the Agora Podcast Network or a podcatcher of your choice to listen to the Land of the Leviathan podcast today. Hello and welcome to Mid-Atlantic, the show where we look at the news and the views from one side of the Atlantic from the perspective of the other. I'm joined by Rob, the historian man Monaco from Connecticut, and John, the journal Elledge from London. Say hello, gentlemen. Hello. I am your host, Royfield Brown, in an autumnal London. In a week that has seen the number of people who regret voting for Brexit grow, so it's now greater than the margin of victory for leaving the EU, we ask, can the American election get any crazier? Instead of being held accountable, Hillary is running for president in what looks like a rigged election. It looks to me like a rigged election. The election is being rigged by corrupt media pushing completely false allegations and outright lies in an effort to elect her president. But we're going to stop it. We're not going to back down. And remember this, it's a rigged election. It's a crazy world we're living in. But that's what I mean. It's a rigged election because they're taking these unsubstantiated, no witnesses, putting them on the front pages of newspapers. So it's a rigged election, but we're not going to let it happen. Remember, it's a rigged system. It's a rigged election. We're going to beat the rigged system. We're going to beat the rigged election. Quite simply, I am flummoxed as to what the question should be this week. So I'm going to read a tweet from Donald J. Trump. The election is being rigged by the media with a coordinated effort by the Clinton campaign by putting stories that never happened into the news. Rob, is the election being rigged? There's a good chance that 
the Bilderbergs and the Majestic 12s and the Illuminati that they're certainly pulling the strings because why not? Um, no. The media probably, and, I, and I'm recalling, I think it was a couple of months ago that there were quite a few media outlets where they just flat out said that they, they need to wean themselves off of the um, amazing news headlines you can get from, from the Trump campaign. There's no rigging in the, in the media. And quite frankly, I don't think anyone in this country has ever made a decision because they watched a, a talking head or listened to a podcast tell them about who is a better candidate or 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 that matter. Uh, and the fact that Paul Ryan then comes up there, um, Mr. I love him, I hate him, I love him, I hate him, as he sits there with the flower plucking the petals off, um, thinking of Trump. He said the, he's completely confident that in our election system. You want to talk about rigging elections? You can think about the, the whole gerrymandering of districts and uh, driving buses around full of people who, you know, for hours on end and not getting them to the polling stations. But in terms of the election <laughs> itself, yeah, come on. John, how can this man claim that the election has been rigged by the media when his whole campaign has been fueled by media mentions? I mean, as a member of the mainstream media, which I spent many <gasps> years trying to break into, I kind of, I want to know where they're rigging all these elections. I mean, I keep being told that I am in some, I am somehow at the heart of this kind of shadowy conspiracy. And, you know, no one told me I don't get invited to these meetings. Um, I, I think the, it's code, isn't it? I mean, it's it, once upon a time... To, People would talk about, oh, these are the shadowy international conspiracies of, you know, um, bankers and foreign powers and people who weren't really committed to this country. And, you know, we all we all know what that meant. Um, I don't think that's quite what Trump is saying, but I do think there is this attempt to legitimize. But hasn't he this week talked about international banking cartels, which to me does sound a bit fascistic. Oh, yeah. I mean, he is talking about in the latter weeks of the campaign. He has definitely pivoted to blame the Jews. Okay, that has happened. But what I was going to say was that I think this is there is a broader pattern which predates Trump of attempting to delegitimize elections in the United States in which the result was significantly influenced by black people. So so the people who think that Obama is not really president, it's because they don't quite accept that a man um, who, who won that bigger share of the African-American vote to get over the top. But I don't think he ever actually won the majority of the white electorate. They don't quite accept that as a legitimate result. And at the other end of the political spectrum, you can see a similar thing with um, with some of the Bernie bros during the primaries who kind of still can't get their head around the idea that Hillary Clinton won that primary. Um, and it's because it, well, it, well, there are many John, reasons for that, John, again, but I think let, one let, of the let, reasons. Let's keep this on Trump. Like, let's keep this on Trump. Right. Let's keep this on Trump. Right. This was my best talking point. Oh, okay. this is exactly what the mainstream media conspiracy have told me to talk about. And now you're <laughs> trying to undermine me. I'm going to look bad when they get back to the clubhouse. The other lizards are not going to take me seriously. I hate you. I'm going to my room. <laughs> Tweet yeah, I know. I, my point. My point is that, like, the idea we people have about what counts as a legitimate election result tends to come down to 
what people like me, what the majority of people like me are saying. Um, and I think in an electorate as diverse as the United States, people sometimes get a confused idea of of what mainstream thinking actually is. And they don't kind of under, necessarily understand that their group, their, their in-group is, is probably not reflective of the broader electorate. But that doesn't mean the election is wrong or rigged. That just means that, you know, it's a big country and Trump is playing on that on that feeling. Last time I looked, uh, women uh, were a, a rather large constituent of American voters. So let's just read out this next uh, tweet. Polls close. But can you believe I lost large numbers of women voters based upon events that never happened? That's all in caps. Media rigging election. Uh, Rob, could you kind of explain not what Trump has been accused of doing in the last week, but how you might have any female supporters, nay, voters even left, please. I was trying to figure out where the the response could come from. Um, Because, you know, part part of uh, what I do as a uh, as a a teacher, um, you know, I, I want my students to care. I want them to care about the system and I want them to care about the election. And I, and I think it was great that, that the first question during the debate was about, you know, how are we supposed to actually talk about this stuff in the classroom when it's getting pretty freaking filthy? Um, the only thing that I can think of at this point from the responses, they're so far in the hole that it doesn't necessarily matter what he's what's happened in the past uh, you know maybe it's the same thing that people could do you know to to bring up clinton that it's like well you know yeah he did all of this stuff and that's pretty bad but i mean you know we didn't have any debt so maybe there could be something where it's like yes did what he do was wrong sure but that doesn't mean he's not going to be an effective chief executive it's just separate now, whether or not he realizes that this is not the the saunas of the Wolf of Wall Street where, you know, you can uh, talk about women this way. And w- when you meet a guy and he introduces you to his wife and you talk about her while she's right there, but looking at the husband and, uh, you know, you take the bill, you take the wine at the restaurant. And it's this very antiquated system. I I just I can't seem to understand how you can you can separate the morality from the 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 office itself Mm. uh me either me especially when that morality is so obviously um off beam this isn't a case of uh, any kind of shades of gray here um Mm. the american electorate is kind of a a pollster's playground uh john could you give us some idea of the state of the polls right now? And then which are the battleground states which Trump, um, if he's going to be victorious, definitely would need to to take to become president? Yeah. OK. I mean, I'm not a pollster. I'm not political. I'm not even American. I'm just a massive nerd who once every four years spends probably about 90 percent of his spare time repeatedly clicking refresh on on 538.com and so forth um so i have a keen amateur interest in this stuff Mm -hmm. um as i understand it there is currently a gap of about six points between clinton and trump 
uh, and a shrinking number of undecided. So not even that long ago, maybe sort of a month ago in the race, there was a slightly smaller gap of maybe three points. But also there was a big pool of, of maybe sort of 12, 15% of the electorate who, who were either voting for one of the third-party candidates or just said they didn't know. Um, and the gap has widened and the undecideds group has shrunk, which suggests that, you know, the late-breaking deciders are going, are going for Clinton. In terms of which states are in play, as it stands, basically all the swing states are looking like they're going to go to, uh, to Hillary. And there's a couple that are a bit iffy. So Iowa, which is... It was one of those states that can go either way in an election, but but is generally in the Democratic win, will vote Democrat. That looks like it might go for Trump. Um, even Ohio, which has been the traditional bellwether state that goes with the winner in every presidential election, that looks like it might go for Trump too. But none of this matters because there just aren't enough electoral votes on the board and all the other swing states are looking pretty safe for Clinton right now. So Virginia, Colorado, Florida, Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania, she's like eight points up. It's very difficult to see a route to, to 270 electoral votes for Donald Trump that doesn't involve him winning Pennsylvania. And it's just completely off the table. Add to that the fact there are some states that never vote Democratic, like Arizona that last went, uh, I think it voted for Bill Clinton once, but other than that, the last time it voted for a Democrat was, Barry Go- uh, was um, Lyndon Johnson in 1964. Mm-hmm. That looks like it might flip this time around, which is that, that, that this is something akin to a landslide. I mean, in, it's not going to be a sort of proper run Reagan 84 type landslide where 49 states go for Hillary because the map is much more divided. It's a much more divided country than it used to be. But nonetheless, this is not just looking like it's going to be a win. It's probably going to be a convincing win. Yeah. And, and polls, polls can be wrong. Events can happen. Something could happen to shake things up. But if none of that is true, then Clinton is going to kick his ass, basically. And just before we go go to Rob, why is it that Ohio could well buck the trend? I'm not 100% sure. I mean, my, my guess from what I've read is that it's probably because... The places where Trump seems to fare worse tend to be sort of the big, diverse cities, and he tends to do better in, in uh, reasonably monocultural, white rural places, right? Um, and mm-hmm. Ohio, and Iowa is the same. Of the Midwestern states, they're the two with, without sort of really big metropolis to build right. So, like Pennsylvania, the reason Pennsylvania gets talked about as a swing state is because it's, it's really two completely different electorates. You've got very diverse cities in uh, Philadelphia in the east of the state and Pittsburgh in the west that are very multicultural, a lot of African-American voters. Um, and those, those places contain just over half the, the, the state's population. But in between, you've got Appalachia, the rural places that gets called, you know, Pennsylvania, um, which is, you know, politically completely different. So it's not a swing state because everyone in Pennsylvania could go either way. It's a swing state because those two populations are so finely balanced. Ohio, I think, is more. It doesn't have the. It doesn't have a city on the scale of, uh, of uh, Philadelphia in it. It's just slightly more rural. The big cities aren't quite as big. Um, and I was. I worries the same. Is my reading. I think one of the the most safely Republican state in the Midwest is Indiana. It's because Indiana is the state where most people are farmers. Mm-hmm. Indianapolis is the biggest city, and it's just not that big compared to somewhere like um, Pittsburgh. So. That's that's my guess, but I am slightly guessing because I may have mentioned some time ago. I'm really just a presidential elections nerd. I'm not actually an expert in any way. I'm just a shouty guy on the internet. 
<laughs> Rob, this election will go down in history for being one with the most amount of vitriol since at least, I don't know, the, the election of 1800 or something or another. Uh, yeah, I mean, I could, we could go back to Adams Jefferson or Adams the Younger and Jackson for sure. Um, why is it that American politics, American electioneering has become so uh, laden with abuse and, for want of a better word, foul language and absolutely uh, tearing down your opponent? We can't blame this all on Trump, can we? Oh, absolutely not. I mean, I there used to, I think it was a couple of months past that people kept on using uh, Frankenstein metaphors that the Republican Party is Dr. Frankenstein and Trump is their monster run amok. And then I've, I saw somebody make a comment that it, it's not that Trump is the monster. Trump is a, a rival scientist who has taken the monster and has run wild with it. The monster is actually the increasingly uh, violent, um, very passionate uh, base, that, that, that small electorate that seems to have a very loud voice. Um, I don't know specifically why it every four years, you know, we all start to get the shakes and the the silent majority, as Nixon would put it, who really sits it out and doesn't feel strongly enough to, to argue in public or, or with strangers. Or, I, I mean, my, my mom was telling me that a co-worker of hers, they had a, a, a Clinton sign in their front yard. And, I mean, a guy gets out of his truck and starts screaming at the daughter of her co-worker, uh, co um, who's 12, um, about how, you know, uh, Clinton this, Clinton that, um, they, you know, you ought to do this. And the fact that people feel comfortable enough to do this to complete strangers and, and, and kids, no less, says something about that it's gone too far. I think maybe that social media is giving way too many people a voice where before they shouldn't have. And I don't care if that sounds elitist. It 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 is. Um, there's way too many voices out there without any uh, enough time to fact check, enough time to apologize, enough. But time do people to... even want to fact check? That's a oh, thing God, no. which because people don't. People just say, "I don't care about the facts. This is what I feel now." Right, because you're because you've grown up in a generation that has said everything you think and do is special and wonderful and unique. But if you're special and unique, and the person next to you is special and new, unique, where where does it end? So everybody has the most important thing to say, and nobody has time to to fact check because facts are stubborn things, John Adams. And it, it's unfortunately it's it's no longer about the country as a whole. It's about well, what group do you belong to? What do you identify as? Who are your enemies? Who are your rivals? And what can you do to destroy them? Um, nobody remembers the time, you know, a bipartisanship. Everybody loves to talk about the, the great Republican uh, presidents, the great Democrat, you know, Democratic presidents of old. But I mean, they were pretty bipartisan. <laughs> Mm, absolutely uh ronald reagan worked with tip o'neill you know you yeah. wouldn't have got all of those reagan reforms without um some level of bipartisanship well, think uh, about it. eisenhower i mean he's basically asking people we're gonna build a giant highway throughout this country 
you're going to have a lot of people that say, you know, this is going to go right through my state. What am I, what's in it for me? And it's, I'll tell you what's in it for you. We'll make a deal. Mm. And, and you don't, you don't see that, but to, you know, to, to quickly kind of go back to what you were saying that this is one of the nastiest elections, you know, John Adams is the one who, who threw out the whole, you know, Jefferson, you know, let's talk about, uh, your little honey on the side here and which he kind of flat out denies John Quincy Adams basically flat out calls Jackson's wife a whore. Jackson, you know, is not one to tolerate these things. Well, he, he's Are you seriously a- blaming Donald Trump problem on the Adams family. You know what? I am. <laughs> you're, bl- you're blaming, you're blaming I, John Quincy Adams and John Adams. I am. Sorry. You know what? As a Jeffersonian, I am blaming the Adams. Those pompous jerks. Bastard. Well, you know what? I always knew I didn't like you because I'm, I'm a Hamilton man all the way here. Yeah, me oh, too. Oh, to hell with both of you. Let me Federalist. tell you. <laughs> I'm a country scholarly, gentlemanly farmer. I do declare it's hot today. Hot today, I, I do say. I do say. <laughs> um, John, I know, I know what you're going to say to my question. You're going to say, I'm a Brit. I'm a nerd. How am I supposed to know? But just wildly speculate, <laughs> please. Wildly speculate. <laughs> all right. <laughs> what happens after this election? Where does Trump go personally? Where does American politics go? Well, the Trump let, let, one, let, let's assume easy. one one second. Let's just assume that Clinton is going to win, and she's going to win in a convincing manner. What happens to Donald Trump? What happens to the Republican Party? Well, Donald Trump sets up his own media network to attempt to monetize the movement he's built. Um, I'm pretty sure that's already. I think there have been reports about this. I don't think I'm making this up, but, you know, maybe we all need a fact checker these days. But I think there's, there have been signs that that's already happening and that he is investing in something that looks a lot like Trump TV. So that seems like the obvious. There's a lot of angry people out there. You know, Fox News has been unchallenged by another crazy right-wing TV station for many years now. It's time that somebody came in and broke up that trust. Um, so I think that's what, what Trump is going to do. He will probably sort of claim that the election was rigged and he was robbed and so on. But my, my gut instinct is he will do it. He'll be quite half-hearted to get about that. And that it will that'll be more about sort of continuing to keep this movement angry, sort of pushing his personal brand rather than any attempt to actually uh, uh, affect the election result. Like, I reckon they'll make a lot of noise, but we're not going to see many lawyers get active because I don't think there's going to be any grounds for it. So, who just, I, I, whether, I mean, I suppose the, the sort of the obvious corollary is does that mean there's going to be, you know, riots on the streets or something? Um, and that's where, where you would have to ask someone rather closer to the action than me. But my, my instinct All right. is. People, people accept this stuff and it goes away. Rob Monaco. There will be a lot of angry bloggers. Angry bloggers, that's where we're going. Rob Monaco, you're closer to the action than John Elledge. It's sat in London. He's just sipping a cappuccino outside of a cafe. He's part of the global elite, right? So, <laughs> hey, it was, an, it was an Americano. That was a good oh, American no. coffee. <laughs> oh, patriotic. I like that. Tastes like freedom. <laughs> so, Rob, what's going to happen to the Republican Party? What's Paul Ryan going to do with this mess the day after the election? It's going to be cats and dogs living together total anarchy it's everything is is probably it's going to be just as nasty as it's been the last eight years where you'll have obstructionists left and right you'll have an increasingly divided uh, uh, electorate you know i'm sure that we will see based on 
uh, a lot of the the things being said about Hillary, um, especially you know the 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 shirts, the the buttons. You know, I'm I'm not a fan of her, but dear God, I mean the the level of just rejection of of decency in some of these comments. It's I, the things that were said about Obama. We're now going to see. Uh, the, the sexism variation on that. And I, I mean, things will get done. The country is stronger than this. And, and I do believe that, that we do have a system set up to handle it, but it's not going to be pretty. And I don't know what the, the best solution is. And on that somewhat sad note, uh, let's talk about another joyous thing, Brexit. Can we start by establishing exactly what you are trying to achieve? What we want to achieve is actually what a previous Conservative government did prior to some major European talks, when John Major uh, had to go to the rest of Europe and negotiate the Maastricht Treaty. He first put, in effect, something very similar to a white paper to the uh, House of Commons and said, these are my objectives, this is the way I want to try and approach these talks. Will you give me your backing or not? So the precedent is there because it gives the government of the day much greater authority if it's negotiating with other governments with the backing of its parliament. Of course, in those cases, there hadn't been a referendum of the whole country first. Mm. Um, can it be clear, however, if she comes to the House of Commons and says, this is the kind of Brexit deal that I want, and that's voted down, that means the House of Commons would vote down the way she wants to negotiate, make her position almost impossible, wouldn't it? Personally, I think Theresa May has absolutely nothing to fear. Everybody, including people like myself who campaigned for us to remain in the European Union, of course accept the mandate from the British people to pull us out of the European Union, is that whilst the government has a mandate to pull us out of the European Union, they don't have a mandate how to do that. Nick Clegg, the former Deputy Prime Minister, is leading a cross-party effort to force the Prime Minister to set out her Brexit plan, including whether she wants the UK to remain in the single market. Will MPs get a vote on the planned timetable for Brexit? And will it be derailed? John Ellidge, over to you. Oh, who the hell even knows anymore? Like, it's become so completely impossible to predict anything going on in, in British politics that, like, you know, will we, will we still have MPs by the end of the year? <laughs> will we still live in a democracy? Will we be, I don't know, will, will we be using uh, our children to uh, take the nutrients out for our personal use? I don't know. It does feel like something very odd is happening to this country. Um, my my sense with the state of the, the, the Brexit thing is that Theresa May is going to use the mandate for the, to leave the European Union from the referendum to mean whatever the hell she wants it to mean. So we're getting, she, she seems to be pushing a particular form of Brexit, which means coming into the single market, hard Brexit. Um, but it also means a whole bunch of other weird stuff. So at the Conservative Party conference, which we which after the, the last episode of this we recorded, um, Home Secretary Amber Rudd, kind of like our Interior Secretary, uh, she does security and so on. Um, she made a speech in which she warned that you know businesses operating in this country were going to have to collect and publish lists of the foreign workers they had. And that's that's just ever so. I mean, a lot of people felt that the idea of forcing private organisations to to publish data on any foreigners they have working for them was a little bit on the sinister and authoritarian side so so that idea seems to have gone away but the fact that we have a government that's pushing ideas like this 
um, is 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 quite telling, I think. And you know, none of that was on the ballot paper. The question on the ballot paper is just, you know, should Britain be a member of the European Union? Um, and yet, there's because almost the sort of vagueness of that of that question is enabling the government to interpret it in whatever they way they want to. So, it's the last the last government, the David Cameron government, was also you know, ostensibly a conservative government who's also on the right, but it was oddly quite liberal. It was, you know, very tolerant. It introduced gay marriage legislation. It was a very metropolitan idea of conservatism that's kind of, you know, it was small state and low tax and so on, but also kind of okay with diversity and gay people and so on. Mm-hmm. And it feels like the, the the May government, which we haven't had an election, we just have, it's there's just been a bit of an internal shuffle. It feels like the new government is kind of turning all that on its head. So we're getting a government that wants to interfere with business. We're getting a government um, that wants to completely change Britain's foreign policy. And we're getting a government that is very noisily intolerant of the idea of people who don't fit into particular stereotypes now a lot of this is no doubt positioning uh, and and about sort of putting in place a stance before going into the brexit negotiations but that doesn't make it any less scary and uh, you know I, I don't remember a time when i felt quite so alienated by my own country so you know I get really depressed in these items. I'm much happier talking about American politics because, firstly, Trump is probably going to lose, and secondly, even if he wins, it's not directly my problem. Well, can we go back to that, please? When President Trump is launching nuclear missiles over our head, uh, then it, it will be will be our problem. But um, Rob, one of the key features of Brexit could well be the end of the United Kingdom. You, you being the historian. How likely do you think that is going to be that Scotland, who voted overwhelmingly to remain part of the EU, will use this rightward lurch of our government as a a, a valid reason for a second referendum? I mean, I think that they absolutely are going to push for that. I mean, if if the news seems anything to believe right now i mean yeah it's it's probably going to go towards that uh i mean whether they actually go through with it that's an excellent question i i mean i think scotland has been part of the uk since 1707 yeah i'm thinking there's a great political cartoon i i am remembering from the time period where um it's it's during the time of the American Revolution. It's basically it's it's England is uh, rep- they're asleep and France is is trying to stab it and the Native Americans are represented by America and they're trying to push them around and the Dutch are trying to pickpocket them and Scotland is doing all it can to protect this sleeping England from these pain in the ass people and I'm sure that they're probably thinking my God 300 years and and this is this is it. I wouldn't blame them, but at the same time, it was a bad idea the first time. I mean, but since everything else is is falling apart, it's like, why not? Why why can't more just just completely? Why don't we all just fall apart? How about Wales? What about what, what is Wales going to do about this? Maybe maybe they maybe they should leave. Wales well, voted for Brexit. Yeah, well, Wales uh, well, was a surprise. Yeah. Well, see, maybe then Wales might want to take it even further. You know, 
maybe they start adding double L's and W's onto just about everything. And, and we all <laughs> don't know what anyone is saying. And, but I mean, but I, I really do think that, that Scotland will absolutely push for it again. Um, and there could be a very good chance that they actually go through with it this time. And I, I don't think that's going to be a good idea. The other thing to think about in terms of the, the four different nations of the United Kingdom and what Brexit is going to do is that Northern Ireland also voted to remain the European Union. And Northern Ireland is the only bit of the UK with a common border with another EU country. Uh, you know, before the Good Friday Agreement of 1998, that border was effectively militarized. And now it's one of those that the only reason you know you're crossing the border from Northern Ireland to the Republic is because there was a road sign and the quality of the tarmac changes because it's been done in the different schedule. <laughs> um, so it's, there's, there's no, there's effectively. There is another reason why you know, you know, your phone signal changes. Okay. That's, I, mean, that's probably, I mean, I think in, in a post-Brexit United Kingdom, we're not going to have mobile phones anymore. We're going to go back to good old-fashioned <laughs> British-made Bakelite phones with those kind of dials on them rather than buttons. Um, but this is, this is by the by. Um, but nonetheless, it's not clear how you, how you deal with um, the, the Northern Ireland issue because the Good Friday Agreement was built on the assumption that both the UK and the Republic were going to remain in the European Union. And if one of those partners is leaving, the Good Friday Agreement has a hole in the middle of it. So that's – and this didn't get talked about you know, even slightly the run up to the referendum so we've just kind of decided that you know northern ireland which was you know a big part of british politics for decades that's that's fine that just doesn't matter the important thing is that we're taking back control and kicking out some polish doctors or something so god i'm depressed <laughs> the labor party's released a list of 170 questions about brexit it says it wants the government to answer about its moves towards succession john is this a clever ruse by the Labour Party to A, remind everybody that it still exists and B, to possibly delay Brexit. It was the first thing I've seen from the Labour Party in some months that didn't make me want the ground to open up and swallow me. Um, the guy, it's Keir Starmer, who's now the sort of shadow Brexit secretary, which is, I mean, that really does sound like a villain from a comic book, doesn't it? But yeah, it means he's the guy shadowing uh, the Secretary of State in charge of managing the Brexit process. Uh, Keir Starmer was previously Director of Public Prosecution. He's a reasonably new MP. He's, I, I think he's one to watch, actually. Um, but he did come up with this fairly forensic list of, of questions that the government should be trying to answer. And it did put the Brexit Secretary, David Davis, on the back foot. He looked like an idiot. Just It became clear he just didn't understand a lot of the, the most basic issues of how foreign relations and international trade works. And he's the guy negotiating this stuff. Um, and not only that, but Starmer got a certain amount of support from, from liberal pro-Remain conservatives like Dominic Grieve. Um, so for the first time, there was a suggestion that maybe the forces in favour of remaining in the European Union and finding a way of, of, of softening the blow of the Brexit result um, were fighting back. And, you know, from, from my sort of liberal metropolitan bubble, that definitely feels like good news. Uh, Rob, I suppose you Americans are all kind of cock a hoop now because um, our currency is plummeting. Um, faster than Donald Trump's poll numbers. So um, it's kind of weak pounds, strong, strong dollar, surely. This, this is all good news to you, Americans. 
Well, I mean, we, it's been good news for us since, you know, 79. I mean, it's just been one. We're going to we're going to not talk about the war of 1812 because that was a victory for us because we got you to sign a uh, a treaty sorry. on that one. I'm sorry. sorry. What, hmm? what, uh, the uh, war that underlined the uh, the continuation of British North America, i.e. Canada and its continued independence. And the fact that you tried to invade <laughs> York twice. burned down some, some important buildings in the War of 1812. I think it was in August 1814. Something burned down. I don't remember. No, I'm not familiar with that. that it was, story. It was yeah. a house. It was, it was uh, Mrs. Uh, Penny. What color was that uh, house, John? John, what color was that house? That maybe been? This is Madison's house. I think you're fortunate. I'm not familiar with this moment in history that you guys made up, but it's fine. Um, I think what's important at this point is that is that um, we are uh, once again enjoying our um, – it's a bit of schadenfreude over here. Um, should uh, Trump take the White House, maybe – Maybe we'll we'll stay quiet for a little bit. But you know what, then? We will own that as well. It will just be a different form of American exceptionalism. We will find um, that you will see us laughing um, and pumping our fists in the air as we march inexorably towards our, our doom and devastation. <laughs> but it's going to be freedom all the way. So... <laughs> um. You know what, gents? I think that is just about uh, an opportune time for us to go on to our takeaways of the week. Uh, it's been a tumultuous week, gents, but what have your takeaways been? First, in London, over to you, Mr. John Elledge. Okay, well, this is actually um, the continuation of a theme. Uh, it's a podcast. The Washington Post has been doing a podcast all year, which I've only discovered, called Presidential where they are doing an episode on every occupant of the Oval Office, all the way back to George Washington, and being you know, proper, a proper nerd, I'm loving it. Like I, lo- I The John Quincy Adams episode was the, the happiest I've been in ages. The, 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 Mo- <laughs> the Monroe Doctrine was written by John Quincy Adams. What the hell is that about? Um, but, but also, I've got as far as um, I'm on Martin Van Buren now, so I'm moving into the more obscure presidents. And the one I'm really looking forward to is the Millard Fillmore episode, Ooh. where the theme of the episode is quite genuinely, is it worth bothering doing an episode on Millard Fillmore? Yeah. How to deal with the obscure presidents. <laughs> and I do have these gaps in my knowledge of American history between because you get everyone that if, if you're interested in this stuff, you know about the, the first few, the founding fathers and so on. And you know about Lincoln, and then maybe from sort of you know when you get to Teddy Roosevelt and Woodrow Wilson and so on, then they're the 20th century. Um, but but I have big gaps where I, there's just a list of names to me. I nothing, know nothing about these men, so I'm I'm you know, I'm quite looking forward to finding out about Millard Fillmore and um, Benjamin Harrison and all these people. So Grover Cleveland as well. Who the hell knows who Grover Cleveland is? I can't wait. Oh well, wait a minute. Wasn't he the president that had two non-consecutive terms? Yes, he was, was so nice. We elected him twice. Exactly. Come on, and, John. And you call yourself an American so, political yeah. nerd. And the one in between, he did win the popular vote, but Benjamin Harrison won in the, the electoral college. Um, my fa- my my favorite obscure U.S. president is William Henry Harrison, who was the ninth president, who refused to wear a coat for his inauguration because he thought it would make him look weak. Yeah, and died 30 days later. <laughs> <laughs> so how the hell are they going to fill 40 minutes on that guy? I have no idea. But he's the next episode. So I'll be on, I'll be on now in an hour. So Fantastic. 
Fantastic. This is the most excited I've ever sounded about anything on this podcast, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> uh, Mr. Monaco, how about you, sir? I'm sure you've got something to say about it as, as well, but uh, I'm going to say that because uh, I haven't been on in, uh, the last time, um, but uh, Netflix has released their their new Marvel show, Luke Cage, and um, I'm, I am enjoying it. Uh, I think. How far have you got? I. I think I'm on episode. I just finished eleven, um, so I'm not done just yet. But uh, I, I'm enjoying it. The guy who plays him, I think Michael Coulter. Um, he's awesome. I think he's fantastic. Uh, I love the the nod to his old costume with the the tiara and the yellow shirt, and I, I thought that was great. And, for, and especially for uh, us comic book. Uh, dorks, real ones, especially in the first episode. I mean, uh, pops drops a Power Man reference, and I was like, "Up!" Oh, and he's like, "You know, I'm not for hire." Oh, I got that one too. Uh, <laughs> these kids, they don't know what they're talking about. But yeah, I mean, I'm I'm enjoying it. I'm, I don't. I think uh, there's some issues with it, um, and there's some technical stuff as well. They have these weird edits that it's, but I don't know. Might be the only, I might be the only one who noticed it, but yeah, I'm enjoying it. So. Uh, I must admit, I'm soldiering through. Um, yes, I'm a big comic book nerd, as, as everybody knows. And, and actually, I think I can officially say I actually don't like it, but out of loyalty to Marvel, loyalty to Power Man forward slash Luke Cage, uh, and re- I remember those comics in the 70s, and he was, he wasn't the first black Marvel superhero. But um, he came at a time when it felt uh, like the world was changing. You had Muhammad Ali bestriding the world as the world's real Superman. And then you had the Black Panther and Luke Cage and the Falcon as the the black superheroes. So for that, I've got to watch it. But I find it cumbersome. I find it's great, the music in it. I love the fact that the Delphonics are in it and all these great soul singers. But for me, it feels too laboured. You know, like it's like, uh, let's have another scene in the nightclub where the baddie Cottonmouth or Diamondback can kind of rub their hands with, with glee and look over the balcony at this great soul group that just happens to be, you know, this classic group, you know, playing music for two minutes. And I actually think they could have got rid of four or five episodes to tighten the whole thing up. Um, though a black man who's bulletproof um, you know it's, it's so timely at the moment that uh, yeah it's uh, you know there are, it does work work on other levels but I'm watching it uh, I'm not really enjoying it but you know uh, I'm in it to win it so I'll stay to the very end <laughs> um, I I spend a ridiculous amount of my time listening to podcasts that'll come as no surprise to anybody and I listen to that many podcasts and then I, and I move around so often that it's though I still listen to the vast majority of the 70 podcasts a week that I download. There's only a few that I'm absolutely aware uh, and whatever I'm doing at the moment when it comes through, then I actually stop whatever I'm doing and listen. And Mike Duncan's Revolutions is definitely one of those. And being a, a bit of a history podcaster, there's part of me. This man doesn't need any more promotion uh, because any history podcaster is really aware of his work. But I just I've learned so much at the moment. He's talking about the um, 
Spanish-American colonies winning their independence and really following Simon Bolivar uh, from his kind of start off in Caracas in Venezuela, uh, then over to Colombia and back again. And the one amazing thing, known a little bit about America and, and its fight for independence, is just how tortuous the Spanish colonies' fight was and how the pendulum swung backwards and forwards. This guy was exiled three times after leading um, insurrections and actually winning battles. And then the royalists or the conservatives would uh, sweep back into power and then he would be exiled, whether it was to Jamaica or to Haiti or over the border in what is now modern-day Colombia. Um, it's absolutely fascinating, but, but it's the parallels being a student of American uh, history and politics are just so stark in and how different South America winning its fight for independence actually was. You know, he had this dream, Bolivia, that um, there would be a united uh, states of at least Gran Colombia, which was modern day Ecuador, Colombia, Venezuela. But he did have some dream that all the kind of Spanish colonies w would come together. But accurately, realized uh, some some years into the fight for independence that um, the modern South American map as we understand it would actually be the one which would kind of come into play that the various kind of vice royalties would be split up etc um, it's just brilliant brilliantly done um, and, and Mike Duncan um, is an excellent podcaster but uh, for somebody who's kind of focused on North America all the time you know my kids live in in Canada, I go to Canada a lot, and then I have my love of America and American politics. It's uh, good to kind of understand the world kind of south of the border historically and how that came about. Um, so that is my takeaway of the week, Mike Duncan's podcast, Revolutions. Let's wrap things up. Gentlemen, social media, um, Mr. John Elledge, um, how can people find you and what are you working on at the moment? I exist almost entirely on Twitter, where I, which I, if I wake up in the middle of the night, I check my Twitter account, where I'm at John Elledge, J O N E L L E D G E. My day job, I mostly edit a website called CityMetric.com, which is a part of the New Statesburden, uh, where I'm also uh, host and edit an excellent podcast called Skylines on, on cities and city life around the world, which is produced by one Mr. Royfield Brown. Oh. I'll have to give that a listen. It's uh, it's it's one of the uh, one of the foremost city related podcasts out there. So we were talking so about this better, week. <laughs> so it's better than the Centres for Cities podcast, then, is it? Oh, don't no, don't, don't, be, don't use that bit. They're nice to me. They give me money. <laughs> <laughs> They're our main sponsor. Don't don't piss them off. <laughs> They're lovely. Rob Monaco, <laughs> what are you working on at the moment, and where oh. can people find you on social media, sir? Well, um, I every now and then will check my my Twitter account. It's at Podcast History. I'm working on episode 73. It's going to cover the sort of I'm trying to not focus too much on the nitty gritty for Rome. Uh, there's already speaking of Mike Duncan, a very good, very, very good Roman history podcast out there. My podcast is not Roman history, so I don't want to dwell too much on it, even though I have a deep fondness for it. I'm going to cover the, the Gauls invading Rome the first time around. We're going to try to move through some of the political stuff in that episode, and I want to start to get to uh, the, the early kind of years of when the Republic is starting to embark on its first voyages abroad in Sicily. Ooh. Well, I'll have to have to give that a little bit of a listen. Tell you, talking about 
um, podcasts about town planning and, and urbanism. How about uh, The Urbanist, John? that any good? Monocle, Done by Monocle, yeah. I'm boycotting it because they once invited me on as a guest and then never used the interview. Were you that bad? <laughs> I mean, I think I probably was that bad. <laughs> I think that what was the topic? Reasons for it. Basically, so what the hell is this silly metric thing all about? And it was quite early on and I hadn't yet formulated a good answer. But the fact they didn't use the segment but didn't bother to tell me they weren't going to use the segment kind of wound yeah. me up a bit. So it, it may be the best podcast that the world has ever seen for all it's I pretty know. Good. But you definitely shouldn't listen to it because they are foul traitors of the sort <laughs> who first gets the wall when the revolution comes. <laughs> <laughs> I must admit, I, I did find it um, pr- pretty good when I used to listen. I've kind of slightly not given up listening to it i've forgotten about it and it's fallen off my podcast list but i actually used to enjoy it when, when, it, when it was on and uh, learned loads about the transport system in i don't know rio de janeiro or whatever but yeah but maybe you want to lift that fact while john lift guests, it and uh they're very picky with their guests <laughs> i am uh on on the twitters you can find me on at royfield's but r-o-i-f-i-e-l-d and Mid-Atlantic is quite simply Mid-Atlantic Show, also on Twitter. Um, on Facebook, we have a little a little page. Uh, you can go like that page, and that would be great if you did. Uh, our website is midatlanticshow.com. And what we'd absolutely love you to do is to write us a review on iTunes. The reviews on iTunes are slowly starting to come back in, but we absolutely need your support to get us up those iTunes rankings. Um, That has been me, Royfield Brown, from an autumnal London. I've been joined by John Ellidge, also from a a somewhat autumnal London. And by uh, the magic of Skype, we had Rob Monaco from Connecticut. Say goodbye, gentlemen. Bye. See ya. See you all again soon. It's that time of the year. 
Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at Burrow.com slash ACAST. That's Burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.